This message is part of the teaching provided by House on the Rock Fellowship, a church caring for the Miami Valley region. Before you listen, be sure to access the notes in the download section of the message page. Have a Bible ready. Thank you for being our guest. 50 days ago, just over 50 days ago, we entered into a journey, a preparation towards this Lenten season, Easter tide, Resurrection Sunday. For weeks, we've been working at preparing our hearts and our minds. We heard the call of John the Baptist who said, Come out into the wilderness. We looked at Jesus' example, how he went out into the wilderness, and what that meant. To lay our heart open before God into this desert place where God does things. And I challenged you to lay your heart before God. Here, here I am. Here I am, God. We talked about the importance of purity of heart and the importance of carrying your cross. What it means to be a fake servant versus a faithful servant. Look at the story of Peter and his journey as he dealt with shame and, and how we can walk victoriously forwards through his example of what Jesus did to restore him. Last week, we gathered together for Resurrection Sunday. We saw baptisms and the chairs were all jacked up in a different way. And some of you are like, this is awesome. And some of you have come back this morning like, this is awesome. It's back to normal. And I, I know where to sit. I know what's expected of me. I sit here. Today, we want to do a couple things. We want to bring all of this together and then figure out how we're going to move forward. Because Resurrection Sunday presents us with a question. And the question is this. When will you live Will you live the day after Easter or will you live in the day before it? Will you live in light of Jesus' resurrection or will you live like it never happened? I don't think we can assume that a follower of Jesus lives one way and a follower of someone who doesn't follow Jesus lives the other. I think a Christ follower has to ask themselves, am I living like it's the day after the resurrection? Like I'm living with the disciples who saw the risen Lord and we're living in a place of victory. We're marching forward in purpose. They know what it means to have death defeated and sin defeated. God's kingdom come and will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. They know that. They live in that space. And I live in that space. Or do I live like Easter never happened? The resurrection never happened. I live in a pace of death and defeat. Not victory. Which is it for you? Which day do you live? Are you like me a little bit? Where the calendar says one thing, but sometimes my heart says something else. I know up here that I am on the other side of Resurrection Sunday. And I'm invited to that story, but I have to be honest. Sometimes my heart acts like, and I act like, Easter never came. 
And how do we find out where we are? We need a little bit of a litmus test, I think. Remember litmus tests, science class, high school. Remember that? You take a little piece of paper, special kind of paper, and you put it into the liquid and it tells you, oh, it's a base. Oh, it's an acid and you know how to respond. We need, what would be a good litmus test for me to let me know where and when am I living? Am I living in light of the resurrection or am I living like the resurrection never happened? As I reflect on that, I think the litmus test is the presence of worry in my life. Do I worry? Am I anxious? Am I consumed by and overwhelmed by life? Not living in a place of victory, but in a place of defeat. How many of you know what worry is? Not really something that you necessarily need to define because you feel it. You, you know what it is. Some of you live in that place. There have been times where I've lived in that place. But this, for the sake of our time this morning, maybe we can give it some words to help us know what we're talking about. To talk about worry. And not that this is uh, a fill-in in your notes, but it might be helpful to write it down this morning. Worry is an overwhelming distress from assuming that I'm alone. To talk about worry is to talk about an overwhelming distress from assuming that I'm alone. My body feels it. My mind feels it. My emotions feel it. It overwhelms me. It's not just the presence of things that are stressful and difficult. We all have things that stress us. Okay? That doesn't mean we worry about it. But this is a consuming thing. A consuming mindset and perspective. And what it stems from is the assumption that I'm alone. And it paralyzes us, doesn't it? It renders us useless to the gospel, the message of Jesus. Completely paralyzing. Do you think that we live in a time where we worry more or worry less as a people? You think it's more? Of course it's more, right? I mean, add it all up. You got pandemic and war and uncertainty. Maybe there's financial troubles or relational troubles. And what do you think is on the rise? Worry and anxiety. And we diagnose it and we'll even talk about it clinically. We won't use the word worry. We'll use the word anxiety. I have anxiety. And I think that's okay. I don't want to dismiss that. In fact, this morning I want to be very sensitive I don't think there's anything wrong with talking about anxiety from a clinical and a medical perspective. And maybe you're someone who takes medicine for it or you go to a counselor for it. I'm not dismissing that. I think that's all. You, you, you're taking it seriously. You're recognizing that it doesn't belong, that this shouldn't be here. But condition is not permission to ignore the resurrection. Right? Can we agree on that? My condition is not a permission to ignore the resurrection. And so if you're someone who battles anxiety at whatever level it might be, 
Okay, let's keep moving forward. Let's see what Jesus has to say about it. How does he talk about it? Because if worry is this overwhelming distress that, uh, from the assuming that I'm alone, Easter is God's giant billboard that says, you're not. I'm here. We've been reading together through the Gospel of Matthew, and, and I, I pray you got all the way through it. it would be awesome if you get all the way. If not, keep reading it. It's not going anywhere. It's good to read. We've been going through a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, a little bit at a time, and enjoying reading it with my sons. Uh, big shout out to Ethan Motter, who got up every morning and posted on Facebook. Thank you so much, buddy. Would you just say thank you to Ethan for doing that? That's a lot of writing. That's a lot of thinking. I appreciate his vulnerability in doing that. We've gotten all the way through Matthew. And what is the last verse of the last chapter of the Gospel of Matthew? You know what it says? And I am with you always. That's what he said. So Jesus said, and that's how Matthew ended the book. Okay, you've seen Jesus speaking. You've seen my birth. You've seen my life, my ministry. You've seen my crucifixion. You've seen my resurrection. Hey, I'm with you always. And yet many of us live like Easter never happened. To start to open this up, let's use our imagination as we look at two different scenes, parenting scenes, if you will. I, I, they help me. Let's imagine a toddler who's taking swim lessons. Hey, I used to teach swimming. I come from a family of people who teach swimming. And so imagine, if you will, you got a two-year-old, you have a three-year-old getting into the water for the first time. A lot of them are pretty open and free when it comes. This is awesome. This is great. As long as you have a hold of me, I'm good to go. All right, we need to float on our back. Okay, where are you? Okay, is your back on? Am I, do I feel you on my back? Are you there? I'm right here. What's this one? Say? I'm right here. I'm right here. Okay. But you need to float. Okay, keep your head up. Keep that butt forward. And you start to move your hands away. And what does their butt start to do? It kind of looks for your hand, right? They start looking over the shoulder. I'm like, I'm, what is this? I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm right here. And slowly, because you are present with them and they feel safe, they trust you, they trust the water, and they start to float. And then we move in and let's jump into the water. This is awesome. Okay, we're going to jump into the water. I am, what do they say? I am right here. And so they jump more to you than in the water, which is great. So then you take a step back. Awesome. Jump. I'm right here. I will catch you. And they jump and you let them hit the water and you let them go under the water and you quickly grab them and you're like, and the water's coming down all over the place and you're like, hey, hey, awesome. I'm right here. I'm right here. And slowly they grow and they grow. And now maybe we move up to like a diving board, a springboard. So they're a little bit higher. Hey, let's go off the board. Can you imagine these, this little person walking out there and the board starts to move a little bit. And they're like, mm-mm. They get and they just turn right around because this is not what is. No, 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 no. I'm right here. I'm at the end of the board. And they walk out and they're kind of like. And kind of it starts, and then there's this moment where they're just looking at you, and you are looking at them. And what do you say? I'm right 
here. And they go. And you catch them. And sometimes you let them go down into the water and you pull them back up again. Remember Lucas, we said, all right, why don't you go up to the five-meter platform? Up you go. Up you go. Just do it, buddy. Just do it. He's like five or six years old. I don't know, seven or eight years old. And he gets up there and there's a long line of people behind him. So he has to go forward. And the swim instructor's down there and I'm over in the stands. Hey, dude, I'm right here. You got this. Complete open air belly smack. <laughs> and everyone in the whole gym is like, oh. And he came up and like, yeah. You did it. How about another scene from parenting? How about learning how to ride a bicycle? Right? Learning how to ride a bicycle. It's Easter and you get, the kid has a new bike and there's no training wheels. We're going to do this. It's, you know, we've been, we've been kicking around the idea long enough. And so the kid gets on the bicycle and you have a hold of the back of the seat because you're a good parent. That's what you do. And what are you constantly saying? I'm right here. Pedal, 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 pedal. And they have to. You can't do this forever, right? You can't do this forever. You're not that parent. You're not going to be that kind of parent. Metaphorically, in reality, you know they've got to figure this out. And so you let go, which means they now have to find equilibrium and they have to find balance, which means they are going to wreck. And so they are going to stand up and they're going to yell at you because you broke their heart and they're going to run off to the other parent or the other guardian cursing your name like, dad hurt me. And you say, come on, yep, because I'm a good dad. Let's get back on it. We're going to do this. We're going to do this. And what are you constantly saying the whole time? I'm right here. I'm right here. I'm right here. And because they have been anchored in that as a child, again and again and again and again, because you're a good parent, I'm here. They can face the world. Does that mean that there's not going to be stress? Oh, there's going to be stress, right? Right? Jumping into water for the first time, is that stressful? Yeah. Jumping off a high board, is that stressful? Yeah. Learning how to ride a bike, is that stressful? Absolutely. Does not remove the stress, does not remove the hardship. But what do they know? I'm not alone. I'm not alone. I can do this. We can do this. So we shouldn't be surprised then to hear some of the things that Jesus is going to say when it comes to worry and anxiety. When we were reading through the Gospel of Matthew, we kind of skipped over uh, part from a preaching perspective because it's the section that we call the Sermon on the Mount. Um, it's not as big as... I mean, it's a lot bigger than other Gospels. This section where Jesus gives his instruction, his kingdom ethic. And we kind of went over it because, one, I knew we were going to come back to it after Easter. Because I think you should read it in light of Resurrection Sunday. But also, our next series is going to drill down deep into a specific part of the Sermon on the Mount, the Lord's Prayer. And so we're, if you have that, that journal, that Matthew book journal that some of you bought, I pray you didn't throw it away. If you did, go find it again or go buy another one because we're going to be in it for a little bit more. 
But find the Gospel of Matthew and find chapter 6. Find chapter 6. Let's see what Jesus has to say about this interesting aspect of our life and our growth when it comes to worry and what we should do with it. Matthew 6. I'm going to start reading in verse 25. I'm going to read down through verse 34. And I just, for the sake of, I'm going to insert the phrase in light of the resurrection as I read through this. Because I'm going to read through it three times. And each time we go through it, it's not long. I want us to zero in on a different aspect. I'm falling of the passage. Okay. Matthew chapter 6. I'm going to start reading. We're just going to go straight through it. And whatever hits you, let it hit you. And, um, and then we're going to hit it again. Matthew t- chapter 6, verses 25. Matthew chapter 6. Therefore I tell you, in light of the resurrection, do not be anxious about your life. What you will eat or what you will drink, nor your body, what you'll put on. Is not life more than food and the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? Which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil or spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive, tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Verse 31. Therefore do not be anxious, saying, what should we eat? What are we going to drink? What should we wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. We're going to go through it again. But this time, see if you can note every place Jesus uses the word anxious. Okay? Circle it or mark it. Because we're not talking a lot of verses So be curious to see how many times does he use the word anxious in such a small chunk of real estate, okay? And so I'm going to read through it again. Notice when he uses the word anxious. Therefore, I tell you, in light of the resurrection, do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, or about your body, what you'll put on. It's not life more than food, the body more than clothing. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. Yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what shall we eat? What shall we drink? 
What should we wear? The Gentiles seek after all of these things. Your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Seek first the kingdom of God and all of his righteousness. All these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for today is your own trouble. Did you, did you do it? How many did you get? Yeah, I got six. Six times! Not so many verses. Six times he uses the word anxious. Parents, do you have to repeat yourself with your kids sometimes? All the time? All the time? Again and again and again? Pick it up. Pick it up. No, pick it up. 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 Some, some of you have to do that with your spouse. I see some of you looking at spouses like that way. You're going to pick it up? You're going to pick it up? Did you pick up your room? Did you, did you actually pick up? Did you go in your room and pick up your room? Here's Jesus again and again and again using the same word, anxious. Do not be. We're going to go through the passage one more time and then I'm going to make a few observations about it. But this time when we go through it, let's see if we can drill down on God's activity. Where do I see God doing something or saying something? Him getting involved in my life. Okay? Okay? One more time. Ready? Therefore I tell you, in light of the resurrection, do not be anxious about your life. What will you eat or what you'll drink, about your body, what you'll put on? Is not life more than food, the body more than clothing? Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. Yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to a span of life? Why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which today is alive and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O oh, you little faith? Therefore, do not be anxious, saying, what should we eat? What should we drink? What are we going to wear? For the Gentiles seek after these things, and your heavenly Father knows that you need them all. But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow, for tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. All right, so just remember, if worry is this, this overwhelmed distress from assuming that I'm alone, I have to go through my finances alone, I have to go through life alone, I have to deal with my boss alone, I have to deal with my kids alone, I have to deal with my junk alone, okay? That's what worry stems from. And if all of Jesus' life, if Jesus' birth and his life and ministry, his crucifixion, his resurrection testifies to the fact that Jesus says, I'm with you always. I'm with you always. Then we should not be surprised that Jesus commands against worry. Let's write that down, in fact. Jesus commands against worry. 
but I have a condition, but I'm on medication. There's been trauma. I don't deny that. I'm not taking that away from you at all. I'm not saying there isn't stress. And it's not a huge stress. And what you went through isn't tragic. And it isn't terrible. But condition is not permission to live outside the resurrection. Right? Easter and worry don't mix. Easter and worry don't mix. There is stress. In fact, this passage ends that way, right? Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. This day is going to be jacked up. There are going to be hard things that happen today. I had a day this last week. You probably even had worse ones from a pastoral perspective, okay? Before I got out the door, I got a phone call about this. And then there was another phone call about this and this. And as I was trying to minister to that on my way to here, I went by a huge accident. I'm like, God, there's that. And then when I got here, there was this and this. Oh, yeah. In fact, I was just you know, trying to get the elders updated. We have a, a communication tool that we use. And I was just like, hey, FYI, this person, this, 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 this person, this. And Doug's like, what do we need to do? I'm like, you just pray. Just pray. Not like that's a cop out and that's not enough, but it's that kind of this. How many of you know what I'm talking about? Yeah, some of you know what I'm talking about. We're not saying today has its troubles, sufficient for the day. It has its own drama, it has its own mess. But what I want you to do is there's a circle in your notes, okay? It says kingdom space in it. Draw yourself inside that circle. Could be a stick figure, okay? Just do a stick figure. If that's too much, just like put an X, okay? Or put your name or whatever. Put you inside of that space, okay? Because that's you living in light of the resurrection, okay? Jesus is risen. I've given him my life. I've given him my heart. I've confessed sinfulness. I come before him a legion. I've been baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I've been buried in his death. I've risen to a new life. I am his. I live in kingdom space. Kingdom space is his ethic, his way of life, his territory. I'm his. I live in there. That's where I am, okay? Put yourself in there. This is living the day after the resurrection. That's what that is. Outside of that is chaos and death and worry. If you remember the Proverbs series, this should be real familiar. That, okay, we're drawing better circles. Remember that? Okay, okay, I'm living a life of wisdom. I'm living a life the way God's commanded me to live. I'm carving out better circles and I'm gonna live in that space. Outside of that is a nightmare. I also want you to put down around that circle everything that you worry about. You're like, all of it? <laughs> put down like your top three. We probably aren't surprised if we were to list the top three things most Americans worry about. You know, first world problems. Okay. Number one will be finances. Normally, you come into my office and you're like, I'm worried about, I'm worried about it. At the heart of it, it's money. Similar to the top is normally relationships. And I'm not saying that these are yours. I'm just saying this might be yours. And then it's death. You're worried about death. Health. Life. 
But write down whatever, if maybe you have, I'm worried about my job, okay? I'm worried about the neighbor's dog, it bit me. I'm worried about my shorts won't fit and I just came out of winter. I just, <laughs> problem's real, man, the problem's real. <laughs> it's like, yeah, dude, I hear you. There was lots of comfort going on through the winter. <laughs> you put down the things that are specific to you, okay? Okay, so I've got me inside this circle, outside of all this mess that I worry about. How do you weather that? How do you weather that storm? Imagine if you are now, you're looking down on an umbrella, okay? And the storm just hits. How do you keep the weather at bay? Um, I know Aaron brought up in the first gathering. I can't remember if you brought up in the second gathering. Like, we've hit all seasons in the course of a week here in Western Ohio, Right? And, and, you know, as a soccer family, I mean, soccer don't get canceled for weather. It's got to be, it's got to be like snow plows and has to be sheets of ice. But for the most part, it's like, just go deal with it. You're fine. You're fine. Just go run and go play soccer. To watch soccer in all of those weathering situations, you have to accrue a certain level of gear as, an, uh, as a watcher. Okay, so if you have in the back of your mind those scenes in the movie where the hero's about to go face the bad guy, and so they open up all these secret compartments where the guns are and the lasers are at, and like, that's what my wife is like when it goes to watching a soccer game, okay? Because you might have an umbrella that's this big, she's got an umbrella that's eight foot, okay? She just does. It's a huge, giant sports umbrella. It, you impale it into the ground. It's staked down. It doesn't move anywhere because we don't want the wet to get us. We're going to weather the wet. We're going to be in that space. Well, what about cold? She has an electric vest, man. She pushes a button. There's battery charge. It's like something out of a Ghostbusters movie a little bit. Okay, when the backpack... That's about my wife's vest. It's heated. It's warm. She's got the socks. We got the wet boots. We got the hot boots. We got multiple layers. She can weather the storm. How do we weather the storm of worry? How do I stay in that space? How do I make a habit of being able to be in that space and the weather not destroy me? Because let's be honest, some of those waves are pretty big, aren't they? Some of that wind's pretty cold. He says in here, he says, seek the kingdom. How do I make that a habit? How do I become, because to seek means to be consumed by. It is in front of me all the time. When normally, boy, I am consumed by worry about this and worry about that. I want to be consumed with this, his kingdom. How do I get to that space, Paul? Because that's what, that's what Jesus challenges me. Seek the kingdom. There's some habits that I would suggest we learn to develop as we move from this series into something else. As we don't forsake everything that God's done in this Lent season and we walk in light of the resurrection. And the first one is this in your notes. Learn to live within my needs. Living within my needs. I didn't say means. We're used to that, right? Well, I need to get my budget in order. Well, you need to learn to live within your means. True, true. 
But what if we learn to think and live within our needs? Jesus has this, he says in verse 25, I'm just going to read a bunch of verses. Okay, listen to what he says. Don't be anxious about your life. And this is how he breaks down life. What you're going to eat, what you're going to drink, about your body, what you're going to put on. Life is more than those needs. I need an iPhone 13. Like bad. Like I need the 13. I've had the 12 for like six months. And now the, there's 13. I need the 13. I need a new truck. I've had, my truck is so old. It's a 21. I need a 22. But the slippers were so shiny and I had Colts cash. I needed them. But it's spring and the purse went with the shoes. And I had Kohl's cash. Well, you have to have four fishing poles because the boat holds three, and so then I can hold number four. I need to have a fourth fishing pole. I need it. All right. First world problems, right? First world problems. Well, I'm subscribed to Netflix and I'm subscribed to Amazon Prime Video and I have Peacock, but I need to get Hulu now. I need to. Yeah, first world problems, right? But to live within my needs means I start to think about these various aspects of my life that ought not to be consuming me. Food, clothes, the necessities of life, the necessities. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap, this is verse 26, or gathered into barns, yet your heavenly Father feeds them. God is mindful of my needs. Are you not more value than they? And which of you by being anxious can add a single hour of his lifespan? And why are you anxious about clothing? Consider the lilies of the field, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin. I tell you, even Solomon in all of his glory was not arrayed like one of these. If God so clothes the grass of the field, which is today alive and tomorrow thrown into the oven, will he not much more clothe you, O you of little faith? He says, anchor yourself. If you struggle with this one, anchor yourself in creation. Go out, sit outside for a while. Look at the flowers. Look at the birds. Be mindful of how God is sustaining and keeping all of creation of which you are a part and of which you are a valuable part. God's like, I got this. I'm not freaking out. The tulips are not freaking out. The roses are not having an anxiety attack. The birds are just doing their thing. Trust me. I'm right here. I'm right here. So learning to live within my needs, okay? 
which means if we keep moving that forward, that means I need to live inside of your father's promises. Living, write that down. Living inside my father's promises. Seek the kingdom and his righteousness. Chase after his ethic and his commands and his way of life. His way of being and doing and moving. The father clothes, the father knows. What is worry? Worry is this overwhelming distress that uh, that's rooted in what? The assumption that I'm alone. Twice in this passage, what does Jesus say? And your heavenly father feeds. And your heavenly father knows. Very, very intentional. Your father. Right before this, he teaches us the prayer. Our father in heaven. Give us today our daily bread, our daily needs. Guide us through our trials. Rescue us from all the evil. I need to learn to live inside of that space. That means there must be some link between worry and obedience. Worry and obedience. That if I'm someone who lives within kingdom space and how God has called me to live, whatever that station may be, maybe I'm single or maybe I'm married or maybe I'm widowed or, or maybe I have this job or I have that ministry or I have these financial concerns or maybe I have kids. Whatever that space is, I live it to the honor of God. God is glorified in my life, in the way I choose to live. That might be a huge abutment to the waves of worry. There must be a connection there. And I might not be surprised that should I step outside of that? Chaos going to blow me around. Worry is going to have its day. But I need to learn to live inside of those promises, inside of that space. When Jesus was taken into the wilderness, led by the Spirit, and evil comes upon him, one of the temptations was, hey, I'm going to take you on top of this building. You jump off. You leap. I'm sure God will catch you. And Jesus, I'm not testing God. I'm not going to test God. I'm not going to put God to the test. We talked about that passage in the beginning of our series. I need to learn to live within those promises. Which means I need to learn how to prioritize kingdom over culture. I have to learn how to prioritize kingdom versus the culture that's around me. That there's an inside and an outside there's kingdom space and there's chaos. Jesus says in verse 31 into 32, don't be anxious. Don't worry saying, what are we going to eat? What are we going to drink? What are we going to wear? Gentiles seek after all these things. Your heavenly father knows that you need them all. Gentiles, outsiders, those who are not walking in relationship with God. Those not in covenant with God. Gentiles this time. Outsiders. That means I'm constantly resisting and constantly resetting that border. 
Because I know the waves are coming and I know there's temptations to live a certain way and walk a certain way and live up to a certain expectation of house and wardrobe and profession and income and car and phone. It scrolls through my phone. News is all about it. The advertisements are always there. I have to constantly be resisting that while at the same time resetting that edge. Imagine my wife's sports umbrella that's stuck in the ground and it's anchored there. If that weather's really blowing, I'm constantly making sure that stake where it's supposed to be is that stake where it's supposed to be. The calendar of the church is really helpful in doing that for us. Seasons like Lent that we come back to again and again or Advent that we come back to again and again. Build off the model of Israel where God says on an annual basis you need to be remembering the story. Remember the exodus and what I did. Remember what it meant to be in the wilderness. To be resetting that border. That, wow. My heart is a garden. Ready for seeds. I can grow flowers or I can grow weeds. What it means to live in a season of preparation And I always have to be prioritizing what's kingdom over what's culture. Because culture prioritizes this, but God's kingdom prioritizes this. How do I love God and love others? How does that reflect it in my calendar? How's that reflected in my to-do list? How's that reflected in my checkbook? How's that reflected in the words that I say to loved ones? Constantly, resist, constantly resisting and constantly resetting that edge. Learning how to say no and when to say yes. First Peter chapter 5, verse 7. Cast all of your anxiety upon him because he cares for you. I don't cast my anxiety on CNN or Fox or the Republican Party or the Democratic Party. I don't cast my cares upon Disney. Disney does not have my best interests. God has my best interests. I take my anxiety, I take my worry, and I cast it upon him. There it is. And he says, I got this. I got this. He says, I'm right here. I'm right here. living within my needs, living inside those promises, prioritizing kingdom versus culture. And then the last thing, looking inside of today. I look to today. The last verse, verse 34, therefore do not be anxious about tomorrow. Tomorrow will be anxious for itself. There's enough worry in tomorrow. Sufficient for the day now is its own trouble. Imagine if we could, we searched the whole church for the biggest worrier here. Okay? I don't know who it is. Some of you are worried now that it's you. You're now worrying about whether or not you're worrying enough. And so you're worried. Because you might be found out. But imagine if we, just, we were not going to actually do it. Like I haven't gone through this. Pretty sure it's that one. But imagine if you would. We have, we have diagnosed and brought forward. This is the biggest worrier in the whole church. And I asked them this one question. How do you think they're going to answer? The question is this. How well do you sleep? 
what do you think they're going to say? I don't sleep at all, right? It takes me forever to fall asleep. Dude, I'm hitting like melatonin gummies like they're candies, man. I tried NyQuil, I tried ZQuil. If I do fall asleep, it's never for very long. I'm up three or four times a night. Whatever I was worrying about last night is what I wake up with. Yeah, I don't sleep at all. Because it seems like worry is directly linked to tomorrow, right? It's about what I have to face tomorrow. And because I assume I'm alone, I don't want tomorrow to come. And it's as if my mind and my body is resisting tomorrow as much as it possibly can. Because when I fall asleep, I'm going to wake up. And when I wake up, I have to face tomorrow. And tomorrow, I'm going to be alone. And I don't want to deal with tomorrow alone. So I can't sleep. He says, don't worry about tomorrow. Be consumed with chasing kingdom today. Being obedient today. Being faithful today. Being present today. Serving others today. Does that mean like I'm blowing through my income? Like I got one paycheck, pass the I got to spend it all today. No, that's not what I'm saying, right? That's not what I'm saying at all. Because you can take finances too far, right? I mean, you can be like, I'm saving everything no matter, because I'm worried about rainy day. And so everything else might suffer. A passage that's comforted me in my ministry as a pastor and as a teacher comes from Mark chapter 4. Uh, and I want to read it to you. And this is Mark 4. This is verses 26 through 29. Because some of you know my habit. On Sunday afternoon, I go take a nap. Because it's biblical and Jesus told me to. And I'm going to prove it. Because here's the reality. The reality is I love you very much. And some of your lives are screwed up. And I can't fix it. And it took me a long time to realize that's not my job. You're like, well, that's kind of cruel. I'm like, no, that's a fact. Right? Can you deal with my heart? Can you change my heart? No. Can I change yours? Oh, but I want to. I, I, like in a bad, bad way. And so I would get consumed by, like, you know, I'm prepping for a sermon. You put hours and hours into it, and you're praying over it, and you're working over it, and you're like, there it is. Like, this is, you are the jacked up person I wrote this sermon for. And so you get your together, and you get down here, and you get right with Jesus. And then it doesn't happen. I'm like, oh. And so I'm doing this the whole way home in the car. I'm like, this is and I'm not fun to be with. I'm not fun to be around. I'm not that anyway. It's like when I'm healthy, I'm not fun to be around. But like worrying about someone's soul is exhausting. And then an old pastor laid this passage in front of me. This is Mark 4, verses 26. The kingdom of God is like a man who scatters seed on the ground and sleeps. He scatters seed on the ground. And then you know what? He goes to bed. He goes and takes a nap. 
He sleeps. You know why? Here's why. The seed sprouts and grows. He doesn't know how it happens. It just, it, it does its thing. It does what it, the earth produces by itself. First the blade, then the ear, the full grain of the ear. And when the grain is ripe, he puts the sickle to it and it's harvest. And it took a while for me to realize this is my part. My job is to scatter seed. That's, that's me. For Paul, living in kingdom space means God has asked me to scatter seed. That's what I do. That's what I'm doing this morning, right? I'm scattering seed. Here, here's something I saw in here. I'm just gonna throw it out there. I'm gonna throw it out there. Maybe it sticks, maybe it doesn't. Guess what's not on me? You need to decide as your piece of earth, as your garden that you're attending, is that seed gonna take root? Are you gonna run with that or not? It's been exciting. I love it when this happens. Okay, like, like, I, I share a message and like four or five days later, one of you like, hey, dude, you jacked me up, man. I've been wrestling with this, been thinking about this. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm like, hey, I've been thinking about this and wrestling with this and God is showing me this. I'm like, yeah, yeah. At the end of the day, it's not mine. I'm like, praise God for that. That's awesome. God, in your goodness, you're taking your seed and you're pressing it down into their heart. Oh God, that's good. But I sleep because I've done my part. Meaning, hey, I know what it means to be a good husband, so I'm going to do that part. I know what it means to be a good wife. I'm going to do that part. I know what it means to be a good employee. I'm going to do that part. That's my part. Everything else, that's God's stuff. That's God's stuff. I know what it means to align my finances in a way that God has ordained. I'm going to do that part. That's what I'm going to do today. I'm going to do that today. Tomorrow, it's not mine. It's not mine. In Psalm 131, if you're looking for a psalm to meditate on or kind of spend some quiet space with, long walk, cup of tea, kind of psalm, Psalm 131 in this topic might be helpful. Let me read it for you. It says, Oh Lord, my heart is not lifted up, or my eyes not raised too high, I don't occupy myself with things too great and too marvelous for me. Translation, I know my space. I know my lane. Okay? I know my lane. But I have calmed and quieted my soul like a weaned child with its mother. Like a weaned child is my soul within me. God, I have quieted myself in your presence. I have feasted upon your goodness. I have fed upon your presence. And like a babe who's just been well fed, I'm going to take a nap. When are you living? Worship team, would you come up, please? When are you living? Is it the day after the resurrection? Or are you living like the resurrection never happened? Jesus said, I'm right here. Are you resting in that blessed assurance? Are you resisting the lies of culture that says you have to have this and have this and get this and you want this? No, you need that. Are you resetting the edges of that border? 
For some of you this morning, that might mean confession. If Jesus commands us not to worry and we've given ourselves over to worry, then the right response is confession. Jesus, that was wrong. It's not right for me to worry about this and this and this. I'm going to lay that before you. In fact, we're going to do that in a little bit after we sing. But why don't we stand? We're going to ask the artist to kind of give us some musical space. and We're going to sing. Encourage you to sing along. Let's let, let's let these seeds set in our heart. And maybe worry by God's spirit will be blown away. Thank you for sharing your time with us. And we'd love for the journey to continue. If you're a guest, would you consider reaching out to us? We would love to come alongside and encourage you in any way that we can. If you're someone who's joined us today and you are desperately reaching to find hope wherever you can, again, Jesus came that we would find hope. You can find hope today. If you want to send us a short note, a member of our hope team would reach out quickly, promptly, to come alongside and see what we can do to encourage you in whatever storm you might find yourself in. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here. Jesus said there's two ways to live your life. And a wise man, a wise woman, builds their life on Jesus' instructions. God bless.